When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hey, Al McCoy here, and you are listening to the Solar Panel, the Phoenix Sun Show. Hello and welcome to a midweek edition of the Sun Solar Panel. We very much appreciate uh, a guest being a big, big guest coming on today with uh, SI.com and the Open Floor Podcast. Chris Herring, how are you doing today? Thank you for coming in. I'm doing okay, guys. How are you? We're doing great. I'm also joined, as always, by my co-host, Zona Hoops, otherwise known as Brandon Duenas. How are you doing, Brandon? Doing great. Uh, can't complain. 17 straight and uh, a statement win after you know going up to New York and, and taking out the, the Knicks in the Garden, uh, the Nets on the second of a back-to-back, and now this without Booker. Just really impressive stuff and just a fun time to, to follow these sons. Absolutely. Uh, Chris Herring is, has been kind enough to come on as a guest. He wrote a, an article yesterday or released yesterday about the uh, 16 things he's noted about the Phoenix Suns during their 16 game winning streak. That is now uh, very fortunately a 17 game winning streak after the Phoenix Suns beat the Golden State Warriors on Tuesday night in Phoenix. Uh, the Suns did that with Devin Booker going down in the second quarter. Uh, they were able to hold the Warriors to, I believe it was 42 second half points and uh, really bogged down the Warriors offense in ways that hasn't happened very often because now the Warriors are 18 and three and the Suns are 18 and three tied at the top of the conference. The Suns do get the tiebreaker because they now want to know in the season series so far, but tiebreakers don't really count until the end of the year, but I'm still going to put the Suns at the top of the standings anyway. So we'll go with that. So, we're very fortunate. Uh, perfect timing. I had scheduled Chris to come on the pod no matter what happened Tuesday night in the in the Suns-Warriors game. So before we go into Chris's article, though, let's talk about uh, last night's game, uh, Tuesday night against the Warriors. One first of two because they're going to play again Friday in, uh, in Golden State. Um, Chris, what were your main takeaways? What was, what's the big thing that jumped out at you about the Suns beating the Warriors on Tuesday? I mean, I think you have to start with the fact that they kind of cut off the head of the snake, so to speak, with um, the incredible job that Bridges did guarding Steph Curry. Um, you know, one of the worst games of his regular season career, uh, which is not easy to do without, you know, kind of causing ripple effects in the rest of your defense. You can obviously sell out to stop Steph from shooting well, but if you do that, what sort of ripple effect does it have on the rest of your defense? So I think I'd start with that. Um, Aiton's ability around the basket, even just in the first few minutes, 
of grabbing rebounds that were kind of way out of his range. Uh, that just kind of, you know, giving them second chance opportunities against a really tough Warriors defense uh, stood out to me. But, you know, at, at the same time, just a total team effort. And that's kind of what I think about when I watch the Suns team play is, you know, Booker goes down and the fact that they still have enough to win um, in a big, highly charged game like that, where frankly, both teams are playing very well. Um, certainly um, you would say that about the Warriors until they kind of struggled to score a little bit, but you know, nothing about that looked like one of these teams is kind of just an imposter or anything like that. So, I mean, this was a, a, a total team effort from the Suns and, um, on the one hand, impressive that they did it, but not necessarily surprised, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And Mikel Bridges, like, I mean, I don't think I can remember a two-point performance as impactful as that uh, in recent memory. Like, that that to me was kind of a statement game for him that he deserves to be in the, you know, defensive player of the year conversation, um, which is tough for a wing to win it. Usually it's a big, big award, but uh, that's just how impactful he is, just navigating screens, uh, blowing up plays, making Steph uncomfortable. He did the same thing to Harden uh, in Brooklyn, and, and James kind of talked about that in their post game. But yeah, Mikel's contract right now is just looking like a complete steal, and it's it's just funny to say that after a you know a two point game, which uh, just his fingerprints were all over it. Yeah, Mikel obviously isn't the offensive player uh, that you know obviously didn't make a difference offensively last night, even with Devin Booker going down, but defensively being in, you know, and, and of course the Suns did a lot of switching. So it wasn't always just Mikel Bridges on Steph Curry, but the Suns really got Mikel Bridges most of the time on Steph Curry. It really just ran, ran, he, he kept, he ran through screens. Uh, Steph was, was pretty worn out by the end of the game. Uh, there was, there was a nice shot of him. Just, I mean, you know, every player always grabs their shorts uh, toward the end of the game, but he looked especially tired. Who knows? Maybe he went out on the, on the talent Scott still the night before, who knows? But, uh, Steph himself said, uh, after the game, a lot of it was them credit to their length and multiple efforts, but a lot of it was us. Uh, early in the first half, we were rushing a lot of possessions and forced turnovers when there were other options out there, but we were just the one going around. And considering that, it was it was close in the last five minutes. And he's, so he just talked about that even though they were rushing and had a lot of turnovers, it was still a close game. And that's absolutely true. Uh, but the Suns were also, uh, you know, with the Warriors defense rushing and, and, and forcing a lot in early on. And that second half really solidified to me, how the the team, as, as you say, Chris, the Suns uh, put in a team effort. It's definitely a big team effort to be able to beat the Warriors. The, this Warriors that are 18 and 2. Now, I got a lot of mentions last night that, well, Clay Thompson wasn't there. Okay, but Clay Thompson hasn't been there for the 18 and 2 run either with a league leading point differential. Uh, I'm not sure how much better they could have played this first 20 games with Clay Thompson. I do think he makes them more sustainable long term and more able to fight through clutch moments, say potentially like Tuesday night. Uh, but do you um, would were you immediately going to but there was no Clay Thompson there, Chris? I mean, what are you thinking going coming out of that game? No, I mean, the, the, the same thing that you just said, Clay hasn't been there. I mean, and quite frankly, when we were talking about the teams at the top of the West, before the season, that's why I didn't include the Warriors right there at the top of that conversation. I figured they'd be a playoff team, but I figured everything was going to kind of rely on whether Clay was back and how early he's back and how much he looks like himself. And 
whether he kind of gets through everything okay physically. So I've been impressed that they've been a team at the top of the league without him. And, you know, obviously the growth from Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins being a 50% shooter and consistent and the defense being as dominant as it's been. So the fact that they've done all that without Clay, kind of a weird sort of, um, sort of, um, in my opinion, about that game, particularly one where, again, the Warriors haven't had Clay for a while. And so you either have enough or you don't. And then, by the way, you know, the, the Suns lose their top scorer in the first half of that game. So I, you know, I, I feel like there are better times to maybe throw that argument out there. But I also think, you know, when two teams are the hottest in the league and one team wins a close game, I, I think it's I think it's just also appropriate to tip your hat to the Suns. And um, I would hope that people aren't using the Clay Thompson excuse as an excuse. Yeah, and it seems like with the Suns, uh, early on in this win streak, everyone kept kind of pointing to, you know, their schedule's been weak and stuff like that. And, you know, it was, they caught some breaks, and but that's also what happens when you're one of the top teams in the league. Like, you look at the Warriors, their schedule's been pretty light too. And part of that is because they hadn't played each other yet. And I think uh, for them to, for the Suns to go in and beat the, the Nets on a second of a back-to-back and then uh, the Warriors without book, that should just kind of, you know, shut up a lot of like the the national media that has been kind of unfair with the Suns, I feel like, just like calling them flukes and frauds and all this stuff from last year. Um, and Chris actually wrote a great article for Sports Illustrated that like highlighted all the pretty much pretty every little like, detail from their 16 game win streak uh, entering last night. And the one thing I really liked was just how he started it off just saying there's no one that's like playing out of their mind right now, basically, like if anything, everyone's kind of taking a little bit of a step back, but just their chemistry has been huge. So um, just diving into that, like what's something that you've seen early on just um, from the team as a whole that you think is sustainable and not only the win streak, but could help them in the long run in the playoffs? I mean, I think we saw it last night. I think it's the defense, quite frankly. I, I think part of the reason the Warriors get so much attention and probably get more attention than really is necessary for. I mean, they're shooting these galactically long shots. I mean, it's Steph. It's Jordan Poole looking like Steph. Um, he wants to be and, Steph. <laughs> I mean, and I, I got to, you know, it's rare that I get chances to watch these guys in college a lot. I feel like it's such a total all-encompassing job to watch the whole NBA or try to watch yeah. as much the NBA as, you know, national reporters are asked to do with 30 teams. I got a chance to watch a lot of Jordan Poole in college. I mean, so he, you know, one of the shots that he'll kind of forever go down in Michigan history for was like this ridiculously long shot. Um, He's always had really crazy range, but um, you're not looking to take those shots when you struggle at the beginning of your career with your shooting. Uh, Or maybe you are because your confidence. And I feel like if any team instills that confidence in someone, it's that one. And it's playing alongside Steph, who's probably encouraging him just as much because it makes you a pretty unguardable offense when you have two guys that can do that in any given moment. Um, so anyway, I mean, he, he does have moments where he kind of looks stepish, which is scary. Um, but the Suns are able to guard them. And I think, you know, the thing is, I get that people focus mostly on offense and people talk about the Suns and, the, you know, sometimes the difficult shots they take and the nature of their offense and, you know, the fact that the Suns aren't taking as many threes or taking so many shots from mid-range, what have you. The Warriors get a lot of attention because of their offense, because of how far away they're shooting from. 
the Warriors have a great defense, and that's why I think they've been even better than even the most optimistic analysts thought that they would be without Klay Thompson. And I think a lot of the same thing is true. I, you know, I, I saw some rumbles and some complaints about the fact that the Suns weren't more in the conversation about, you know, after having made it to the finals and being two games short of winning it, that they weren't more heavily involved in conversations about the favorites in the West or that, you know, people were looking at the Warriors or the Lakers or the Jazz, uh, which I was guilty of that. I, I know I said that I thought the Jazz should be considered the favorites. Um, but the truth is, you know, if the Suns are going to have a top five defense or somewhere in that range, and they're going to be a top 10 offense or higher than that, um, obviously they're in the conversation. But I think the defense is even better than I imagined it would be. Um, there was no reason to think that they would be bad. But when you watch them have a performance like that yesterday, um, where, you know, you're, you're forcing Steph Curry into one of the worst games he's ever had, um, and nothing about it looked fluky at all, at all. Um, you know, and I, that's what I would say. That's why that was the first point I made in that story, is that, you know, you're automatically thinking when a team reels off 16 in a row, now 17 mm -hmm. in a row, that you're getting some ridiculous, ridiculous performances from your main guys. And that just hasn't been the case, which makes it less fluky to me. And it makes it more sustainable. And when we talk about soft schedules, tough schedules, whatever, there have been six teams in NBA history now, including the Suns, to go undefeated for an entire month of the full month and right. in, in the NBA season. Um, it doesn't happen. Soft schedules, tough schedules, whatever. It really doesn't happen very often. So you, you cannot just brush that aside, you know, smaller market, which Phoenix is not a small market. I was getting confused by that. But whatever people want to they're smaller than I mean they're about twelfth or tenth or something like that. Which is a thirty team league. It's not a you know it's not <laughs> it's not a small market by any means. But anyway, you you can't write them off. You can't ignore them anymore. Yeah. I think as much as some people would like to do or kind of sell this short, I don't think you can do that. They're they're legitimate, and I think it's been pretty clear for a while that they're legitimate. You made a point, a uh, comment on uh, your number four of the sixteen things you love about the Suns or have noticed about the Suns this year is they're hitting the offensive glass even less this year than in years past. And, the, and of course, the, the goal of that is to come back and uh, drop back into better transition defense. So you're not giving up a lot of easy. The easiest points on the floor are when the defense isn't set and the offense is going downhill. And that happens on turnovers. And the Warriors make their living off of that, right? The, I mean, obviously, they have the 30-foot shots in half court, but they a lot of their they have 20 points a game they lead the league in transition points um and, and uh um fast breaks and all that stuff because they get they get live ball turnovers and they also because they get defensive rebounds which is kind of a live ball turnover it's just closer to the basket but nobody's <laughs> set there's not a taking the ball out and getting a two second reprieve on on that um when you when, after you've scored so that's what the uh, Warriors live on. That's what the Suns give up. And yet on Tuesday night, you could see that the Suns, when they really want to, they can, they can get those offensive rebounds. Aiden had four offensive rebounds in the first quarter. Um, it, uh, the Warriors still got a lot of rebounds, but I guess what I'm, I'm getting at is, do you think, here's my question, a <laughs> long, long, long comment. Do you think the Suns not going for offensive rebounds and giving up on their possessions earlier than other teams will ultimately hurt them? Or do you think it's, it's good. This the strategy they're following. 
I, I, I don't think it will hurt them too much. And I think, you know, one of the things I wanted to make sure I mentioned in the piece concerning that was that um, transition hurt them a lot last year, particularly mm-hmm. in Milwaukee uh, or yeah. against Milwaukee. I mean, Giannis obviously is a transition possession by himself where he can dribble twice and, and you know, be at the rim and, and dunking from half court you know, Space Jam style. So that that obviously, that was one of those things that when I just think about what Monty Williams would have kind of seen as nightmares during the offseason, I think that was one of the things that he probably went in saying, we can probably loosen up here in terms of how much we're going for offensive rebounds if the trade-off is us getting even tighter defensively and getting a chance to set our defense, which teams are going to have a, a problem trying to beat in the half court. So, I, you know, that that's one of the things why I mentioned it there is that I think it was something that really hurt them in the finals, mm-hmm. that they had the potential to tighten up. Uh, I don't think you want to have to go against their their defense. They've got a couple of really stout wings. Um, Aiton has certainly improved a lot on that end of the floor. And even when Aiton's not out there, when you've got JaVale McGee back there, nobody really wants to try to shoot a shot over him from close range. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just a tough – Sometimes nasty defense is a smart defense. Chris Paul obviously plays and, and punches way above his, you know, his weight. Um, teams challenge him in the post. For what, what reason? I have no clue other than the fact that he's short. Um, so it, it makes a lot of sense. I, I did think it was interesting that Aiton was hitting the glass so hard at the beginning of the game. But I also wonder if that's kind of like a strategic switch up. Um, because, you know, if you're the Suns, maybe you're thinking – we know that we'll have time to grab these rebounds because the Suns have just been sending everybody back. But in a situation like that, obviously the the Warriors, they they don't have a ton of size, but I think they make up for it just with Draymond and everything he's able to do. It is at least a, a, a kind of interesting opportunity for them to be able to grab more boards in a situation where they're playing against a team they have a height advantage over. And so I wonder if that was just kind of targeted for yesterday and if they get the Warriors in a series, if that's something that you'll see more of. But I think that there are more benefits to them from getting back than there are of them hitting the glass really hard, you know, particularly if they're scoring well and if they're shooting well and getting enough stuff in transition for them anyway. Let's take a quick break and talk about our friends over at DraftKings. The NHL season is underway, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sport on ice. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. Doesn't matter if it's a one-time clapper or a deft deflection. However they light the lamp, you win. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest on basketball, football, UFC, whatever, whatever sport you want, whatever there's betting on, you can do it. You can win cash prizes, big cash prizes. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. That's TB. PN, throw down $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the net nets you a big win with promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older if you're in New Jersey, Indiana, or PA only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Yeah, and I love that point that you made in, in your article about uh, Chris Paul challenging, you know, post players like the, with the Randall clips, like 
he does stuff about like five times a game that just makes me laugh. Like whether it's fighting someone in the post or just, you know, the ridiculous spin movie into that mid range jumper. Um, so that, that was just really impressive. And, and it shows that you did your, your homework on, on the article. And I know a lot of Suns fans like try to, you know, quote certain media members when they're talking about the Suns with, you know, their bad takes. So I just want to go out of my way to say like, this is a great article. Go read it. Um, give it just as much love as you do like as you guys give hate to like the, the bad stuff, because whenever there's good content out there from the national media, we really appreciate it. Um, yeah, I guess my question is mm -hmm. um, in the very short term and it's not a huge deal, but like, who do you think out of Cam Johnson or Landry Shamit should uh, go in for Devin Booker as a starter? Um, you know, I, I think sometimes we can maybe pay too much attention to that. I mean, I think for me, the, I, I think Cam Johnson very easily could do it, but also if they go with Landry Shaman, I think that that's probably fine. Um, and if it means that, you know, if you want to keep balance, I know um, the Knicks, for instance, have kind of gone through that question, not because of injury, but obviously taking Kimball Walker out of the rotation. There is a lot of emphasis placed on like picking the right guy to fill that role, not wanting to disrupt your bench continuity. Cam Johnson has had plenty of minutes with, with the starters anyway. And if I had to guess probably more, than Landry Shaman mm. has, you know, just with that four-man group. So that's why yep. I would probably say him. But it, again, if you went with Landry Shamit, I think that's probably fine. I don't, I don't think it would matter too, too much. I'm sure you would still probably play whoever it was a lot with your second unit anyway, and kind of, um, kind of, just kind of have those guys playing back and forth between the two groups. But I, I'd probably go with Cam Johnson just because he's got a little bit more experience with that group. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, you also pointed out in your article, Chris, that about the Suns not taking threes as much this year and trying to offset that with just being ultra efficient on twos. And clearly that has worked for them. They're on a 17 game winning streak. That's worked so far. Uh, but it is it is pretty eye opening that the Warriors, for example, led the lead the league in three point attempts and makes. And the Suns are almost last in uh, three-point attempts, although they're mid-pack in makes. Is that something that that the Suns have to worry about, is giving up too many points behind the three-point line while needing ultra-efficient scoring inside uh, the arc? Or is that just a staple of this team, and this this team is kind of... Uh, that's how this how, that's how this team has been good in the playoffs because they can make the shots that every other team wants them to take because defenses are trying to run you off the three point line. Where do you see the? Do you think the Suns need to come up on the three point attempts to be able to stay with other teams over time, or do you think it's good the way it is? I think it's fine with one key caveat. Um, the one thing that you see that you generally can't afford to get beaten from behind the three point line in terms of points and lose the turnover battle. It's gotta be like one or the other. Yeah. Um, I think the Suns help themselves because, you know, they don't Booker has the ball in his hands a lot of times and he's not turning it over and Chris Paul's not turning it over. So if one of those things was to shift, and I think that's kind of what you were seeing at the very beginning of the season, quite frankly, is that, you know, in some of these games where they're losing uh, and, you know, in that New Orleans game, which I kind of led the article with, yeah where they had so many turnovers just in the first half of the game alone, you can't afford to turn it over and not be taking as many threes as your opponent. It's got to be, you know, you can maybe do that with one thing, but it can't be both. And uh, so, I mean, like you mentioned before, they're pretty mid-pack with, with makes. 
And so that if that holds up, I think they're okay. I just think the turnovers can't get haywire. You've got to take care of the ball um, because you can't be giving up essentially possessions and be losing out on points of efficiency the way that other teams are going to probably have an advantage on you um, in, in most games if you're not taking those threes. So also getting to the line matters a whole lot too. And so that's the tough thing with the mid-range shots is that, you know, even with threes, I think there's been more more of a likelihood that you'll get to the, the free throw line off those than you will from the mid-range area. And so um, so we'll see. I, I, I don't expect it to be a problem mostly because I trust this team with the ball to take care of the ball. But um, yeah, there, there will probably be games where just that difference from three is enough to beat them on a given night, you know, depending on who it is, if it's Milwaukee, if it's Utah, if it's the Warriors, if Steph is shooting better or something like that. But, um, you know, as far as it being just like an Achilles heel in a playoff series, I don't necessarily see it as being the reason that they would lose. Yeah. And that, that's a good point about the turnovers because like early on in this, this season and even in their win streak, like there's stretches where they just, they're playing really sloppy basketball and then they'd kind of turn in, turn it up to a notch like in the fourth quarter with five minutes left Chris Paul would just say I'm not going to lose to this damn team and, and they'd close out the win uh, <laughs> pretty much yeah, yeah but uh I think a major reason they kind of struggled with that early was just like the with the turnovers was uh picking up the pace they went from like the 28th uh fastest team to the fourth I think, right this year so uh I think in integrating that probably took a little bit of time because they I think Chris knew Looking at last year's playoffs, that's probably the number one thing they needed, they needed to improve was picking up the pace. And so now they're kind of figuring that out. And I think that's led to, yes, it's led to some like turnover prone quarters, but overall they've been more uh, efficient and, you know, slowed things down when it matters. So uh, what, what are your thoughts on them picking up the pace? And is it something you think they should they should keep doing? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's funny. I don't even remember what exactly I said about that in the story, but I remember – you know, I'm, I'm a Michigan alum, so this is a big weekend for me than having beaten Ohio State. And just how much I'm used to Michigan getting beat with teams that go with quick snaps and, and that don't get set at the line, that just run plays quickly. And I think the same thing is true of, of the NBA as well, where you can catch teams off guard by deciding to kind of go with a quicker tempo. You know, I was watching Score plays before they're yesterday. Ready. Yeah. Yeah, I was watching plays yesterday just of kind of the Suns in transition where they decide to take the ball out after a make. And mm -hmm. they're getting a shot off with 20 seconds left on the clock because Chris Paul has just kind of zoomed down the court and found Jay Crowder in the corner. Or, you know, he kind of does like a fake pick and roll with Aiton and then goes to Crowder in the corner. And it's like, how are you supposed to guard that when you're thinking that a team is going to take five, six seconds to get across half court, let alone <laughs> – all the way down the court and like you're already looking for a guy for a corner three three and a half seconds into your possession when this team was one of the slowest in the league last year so i like the fact that it just kind of it's going to throw off defenses and i think it's just a way of keeping a defense on their toes um and you would love to see them hold on to something like that for the duration of the season for the playoffs because it just will keep defenses uncomfortable and it's another layer of unpredictability that's what makes them difficult anyway is the fact that they've got so many options that they can go to on offense they can go quick they can slow down and iso you um you know they obviously can go with the pick and roll they've got more of a lob threat now uh off the bench with mcgee it's mm -hmm. just a, it, it's a little bit more of a versatile team despite the fact that it's largely the same team as last year 
And that's part of what I like about it. I, and what I think maybe I didn't appreciate about it fully um, is that even the, you know, the center rotation is, is deeper than it was last year. Obviously you've got the Kaminsky injury that you've got to wait for him to come back, but uh, there's a whole lot to love about this team and, you know, a team that was already really, really good. if not great last year. Um, so there's a lot to like here. Imagine saying that a year ago or even a few months ago. Oh, the Kaminsky <laughs> injury. we got to wait for him to come back. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Frank almost played himself out of the league, and he even talks about that. He's like, man, yeah. I, I finally had to change my mindset. And he said after a talk with Monty Williams, actually, uh, when he was between teams, Basically, he had to go from trying to prove everybody wrong to try to prove himself right. And by doing that, you take all the, some of the edge off and some of the stress off, and you're just playing your game. He's Frank's really good in that short post um, uh, where, or the quick roll, short roll, sorry, uh, where he stops at the free throw line with the ball. Instead of driving all the way to the hoop, he can make a pass. And Aiden has picked up a little bit of that from him. He says he's trying to learn from Frank on, on being able to stop when he gets the ball outside the key uh, on on the catch and makes Aiton even more dangerous that way. And then watching mm -hmm. JaVale just dive and score um, and not have to, because Aiton doesn't like to create contact on, on scoring. He takes so much contact defensively. Like Aiton's not afraid. People say Aiton's afraid of contact. He's not afraid of contact. He just doesn't like it when he has the ball in his hands because he's worried about losing the ball. Uh, and uh, JaVale McGee is showing him how to score and avoid guys and still be able to be really effective. So that's been that's been a real interesting dynamic there. Uh, you mentioned about going from one of the slowest to the fastest paces. The, the thing I like about it is because it's with the same group so they can do slow and they can do fast it's almost like a really good baseball pitcher right and it it doesn't matter how good your pitch is if every pitch is that speed the batters right. will get used to it but right. if you can change it up even at five mile an hour difference or 10 mile an hour difference it doesn't have to be going from a fastball to an ephus pitch it's got it's just subtle changes those guys can't time your pitches and then you become better uh and uh that's kind of what chris paul is doing this year um, arguably for the first time in his career the dude has never been fast he's always played on one of the slowest teams in the league so i'm i'm just shocked and i do hope they they keep that around um the other another thing you did talk about the uh um the clutch scoring for the suns phoenix has been unstoppable in the clutch and they showed it again on tuesday night against a warriors team that had been really good in the clutch too uh and it just seems like that's when Chris Paul, as 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 Zona said earlier, just says, damn it, we're not going to lose to this team. And suddenly just decides, I'm not turning the ball over. I'm not going to miss any shots anymore. And I'm going to get easy shots from my guys. And it's just amazing that he was able to do that even in the playoffs. This year, Devin Booker has been that kind of guy too. Last year, Devin Booker was not as efficient in the clutch. And all of a sudden this year, he is more efficient in the clutch. So obviously Booker will be back soon, if not immediately with that, with the hamstring pull. Um, what have you seen from Devin Booker this year that might look a little bit different than prior years? If anything, have you noticed anything different about Booker? Not entirely. And, you know, and it, it's funny because even when I will be honest, even when the Suns were five, six games into this win streak and my editor said, you know, let's get something ready on the Suns to write on the Suns and how well they're playing. I, I said I was happy to do it, but I also said, you know, aside from their pace, 
I'm really struggling to kind of figure out what the secret sauce is for them because it's, it's the, you know, I'm, and I can be honest in saying this, I don't think it's a bias against the Suns or anybody. I'm generally more drawn to early in the season writing about the teams that look fundamentally different because then it's, I don't know if it's just that it's naturally easier to write about them because you can at least dive right into something that is a, a fundamental change and a fundamental shift. And so I told my editor, I said, I've watched them certainly, you know, about as much as I've watched everybody else, but I can't tell what they're doing that's so different from last year, aside from the fact that they're playing at a different tempo. Um, and I don't know if I want to hang a whole story on that. And so then my colleague, Michael Pina, wrote a really good piece on the fact that they've been playing at a faster tempo, um, which I, I linked in the piece. So there's your one hook. <laughs> right. So I'm like, so now I can't even write that about them. Uh, you know, so... I, you know, but also within that, again, you're, you're so used to teams that just go on a, a long streak like this, that their best player is just, you know, playing out of his mind or a couple guys are doing that. And again, you know, Booker, I know he won player of the week. I know that he's been hot lately. Um, I know he's having, you know, he's having a good season, but it's not, I, you know, I don't know if it's the best we've ever seen him play. It's very, very good. And it's, it's like, you know, yeah. it's certainly impressive for anybody, not just him, but it's, it's not so otherworldly to where, you take notice of it. Maybe it is in those moments in the clutch and stuff like that, that really stand out. But just, I don't know if his game looks to me fundamentally different. Um, just right. that he's been even more efficient. And so again, that, that is part of what I find to be so, if you're a Suns fan, what you have to be so optimistic about is that this is the same team. It just looks even better than it did before. And sometimes I, you know, the only thing, one of the only things I really can point to with something like that is, the fact that I do think there's a massive, massive benefit in the fact that when you keep a team together, there's always such a rush to kind of change things up. And obviously mm-hmm. you were talking about Kaminsky and when someone looks really rough in a series that can define your season and, and you know, make the difference between you being a champion and a runner up, you're going to look to make tweaks and people are going to want there to be tweaks and changes. But they were so close to doing it last year. It's a relatively young core outside of Chris Paul. Um and so it made sense that they wanted to keep this team together and not make that many changes. You wanted to do something to the center rotation, which they did, and made the team more athletic and tougher to shoot on uh, from close range. But I don't see a massive difference in Booker. I don't see a massive, massive difference in Paul other than the tempo stuff that we've been talking about. Um, it's just a team that's executing so, so well. And I think the fact that you knock out the Warriors with without Devin Booker even playing – in the second half that shows you how well you have to be executing but i was so impressed even in the first four or five minutes of that game you immediately were like this is some high level basketball not just the the suns but the warriors as well Mm -hmm. but why i had been so amped to watch the game in the first place because you knew both of these teams were really humming and it looked like that even two three four minutes into the game right away yeah, give me six or seven games of that in the Western Conference Finals. That, I'll take great. it. <laughs> that would be a fine, fine Western Oof, Conference Finals. My goodness. Yeah. yeah um, but so, yeah, that's a good point, though, just about their early season, season success. And it's just like Suns fans will kill me for saying this, but they remind me just so much of the Spurs, how they just kind of mm-hmm. executed you to death. There's no like, major storyline. Um, and that's probably why they're not getting as many stories, just because they're just going in doing their job like a, like a machine, basically. And um, – yeah, I think the only thing that I could see like coming up later down the road is maybe trying to go out there and find like a small ball five or someone like Tory Craig that they had last year. And um, obviously they have JaVale and Aiton who kind of fit that traditional mold. Um, so do you see them 
like Thaddeus Young that has come up in the past. Um, so do you think they should make another move for someone like that just so they're ready for anything in the, in the playoffs, or do you think they should stand pat? Oh, no, no, for sure. I mean, I think if nothing else, what what P.J. Tucker was able to do yeah. um, against you all before that um, shows how impactful a player like that can be just to get up and down. Um, I think you can use JaVale like that just as far as the pace of the game. But obviously, you know, as far as his role in the offense, you would you would prefer to have someone that can just, you know, be a spacer. And it, 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 I think that's part of the reason they miss Sharish uh, so much obviously it was just the idea even if he's not really a guy that gets up and down all that well someone that can stretch the floor for you and you know even Kaminsky from that standpoint is someone that can do a little bit of that I don't think you would trust him that much defensively to play that role but yeah I think that they're going to be in the market for somebody like that um, and I think that that would be a great potential pickup for them and I imagine that there'll probably be someone on the waiver wire that they can you know that they can get or someone that will clear waivers that they can go out and get to do that. Um, you, you know, you don't ever want to worry too, too much a team that's doing this well um, about something that has to be done at the deadline. Even then, you know, I think there'll probably be people that just really want out of their situations or teams will decide to move on from so they can get looks at their younger guys. And it'll be interesting to see. I mean, the Suns are normally not thought of as a, as a destination necessarily, right. but when you're this relevant in the conversation and you're beating the Warriors and, um, you're doing it without Devin Booker, but also you've got a second straight year of this where the team looks this legit. Um, you know, this is how a team does become a little bit of a destination or how even if it's not really viewed as a destination, how a team lands players in situations like this is that the same way, you know, maybe it would be more appealing to play in Miami for somebody like P.J. Tucker, but you're damn sure going to take an opportunity to play in Milwaukee, if you feel like it has a chance to yield you a championship. So it'll be interesting to see who they land or who they're even interested in going after when that time comes. Let's make an assumption the Suns don't make any moves at all, just because, you know, predicting that future is, is you're almost certainly going to be wrong. So (laughs) let's just stay with the team that there is. Do you see Chris, and it's okay to give whatever answer. You don't have to give the answer we want to hear because this is a Suns pod. But do you see the Suns being as dangerous in the playoffs uh, and getting through to the finals, um, or do you see them as you know we got? I got to see it a second year in a row to believe it. No, no, I don't need to see it a second year in a row. I mean, I it's weird because I can't remember it. I have to go back and see if I ever made like a. Uh, before the playoffs started, like a prediction for who I thought would get all the way. But I know every round, I, I would do like predictions by round. And I know that every round I picked the Suns, um, including the finals. And so like when they played the Lakers, I was like, I like the Suns here. I don't think it's particularly close um, because the, the Lakers haven't had time to round into shape. But even if it was just straight up at full strength, I thought the Suns would have been a, a fine pick there. Um, and so when they won that series, wasn't surprised. They beat the Nuggets, certainly wasn't surprised because the Nuggets were not at full strength. The Nuggets were kind of the polar opposite of what the Suns were as being a complete team. Um, and quite frankly, the Clippers, you know, who, who were tough, a tough out. But, I, you know, I, I picked them over them as well. Um, and it looked like a good pick to have them in the finals, you know, for the first couple of games. We all um, obviously so. things kind of turned very quickly. Who even knew that Giannis would be back, let alone, you know, 
for, for game one uh, and playing and moving the way he was, it's still a little bit hard to believe that he was able to do that. But no, I mean, I, none of that to me was fluky. I get that. And I, I'm sure, again, I know it's not small market, but thought of as a smaller market. I know that, you know, fans are probably hearing the barbs that certain people were throwing out there that, oh, they're just benefiting because all the teams they're playing against are hurt. You know, literally every team in the first round had a key injury or something that was, uh, you know, hampering their ability to play at full strength. You can't control that. But also, I'm not going to use that as a rationale to knock a team that has been healthy all year that has looked the part all you know, neck and neck with the one seed all year. I mean, they, they were playing the way they looked all year. Um, So I wasn't surprised by any of that. I don't feel like they have anything to prove this year, but even if they did after this, you know, relatively slow start, I think they've proven that this is just a team that is this good and deserves to be in that conversation that even if they don't tweak a thing, I expect to be in the conversation. I think that um, we've got to see what happens with the Warriors, what the Clay Thompson move or, you know, or bringing him back does for that team and potentially what they do on the buyout market. And, and I think also what the Suns do, you know, see how the jazz look, but I would say those three teams there in the West, I mean, I think that they're going to be the ones in that conversation. Certainly uh, maybe one other team kind of joins them, but it seems like a three team race out West and the Suns are firmly, firmly in that conversation, if not at the front of it right now. Chris Herring, thank you so much for your time today. Hey, let's talk about your book. Uh, Chris Herring put out a book recently. Uh, it's uh, um, Blood in the Garden, based on the 90s Knicks. And uh, tell us, you know, for obviously um, some, a lot of Suns fans, well, it's a different generation now, so a lot of Suns fans weren't even around in the 90s. Uh, but definitely, if you remember the 90s, the Knicks were a storyline. Uh, tell us where they can find your book and uh, what, what kind of things we can find in it. Sure. Well, you can find it um, pretty much anywhere that you buy books online for now. It, it's on pre-sale. It'll come out January 18th. Um, but Amazon, you can pre-order it there. I know a lot of people are anti-Amazon, which I would not blame you. But um, if you know if it's uh, indie books or bookshop or what have you to use an independent bookstore instead, um, you should be able to find the book there at your favorite bookstores for pre-sale. Um, and as far as what the book has it's funny i was thinking the other day like you know if you gave me like a buzzword to operate with for any team or any market in the league in the 1990s from vancouver to phoenix to chicago certainly detroit i could give you two lines or two anecdotes about each team that would you know would stand out to me because i wanted to make this a book for more than just knicks fans about what i found to be a really fascinating team we've seen so much on the Jordan Bulls and the documentaries. Now Scottie Pippen just put out a book and all these things. We've heard so many of those stories. And it's not to say that those aren't good stories, but I think we generally more or less understand most of what there is to be understood about NBA champions because they've been written about. They're kind of going to be in history forever and the history books forever. The Knicks were a rare instance of a team that did not win the whole thing that I think was worthy of book treatment. Um, that basically finished in second a number of times. Uh, they were in the conference finals, what was it, four times in the 90s. Um, they were the first team to push the title era Bulls to a seven-game series. They had the Charles Smith sequence. They were fundamentally the reason that the NBA changed a number of their rules in the 1990s because they did not want teams to play as physically as those Knicks did anymore. They didn't want the league to devolve right. into – 
wrestling, basically. And yeah. quite frankly, they shaped the league as far as, you know, maybe changed the course of NBA history through some of their fights, including one with the Phoenix Suns, where Greg Anthony sucker punched Kevin Johnson. And, you know, basically there were rules established shortly after that, that players were not allowed to leave the bench, even if they weren't fighting. You're not even allowed to take a step off the bench, which obviously impacted the Knicks really heavily in 1997, but the Suns just as heavily later on in their future with the Steve Nash, Mario Stoudemire, you know, era Suns. And so these are things that fundamentally shaped the league that, you know, I I was four years old when the Knicks hired Pat Riley, so I was not of an age to know this or understand any of this either. But, you know, a book that I interviewed 200 people for, more than 200 people, um, spent a lot of time talking to key players from basically every team during that era um, just to understand what it was like to play against them, referees, league officials, spouses, um, you know, marketing people, um, community outreach people, friends of Anthony Mason's, you know, who passed away in 2015. You name it, I probably made an effort to talk to these people. Um, and there's just so many stories that have never been told before about those Knicks, about um, about the, it's a lot of cases about the competition that they had during those years. I spent time talking to, to Jerry Colangelo um, about that fight and about, you know, what recollections the referees from that day had about that fight and how worried they were about something like that happening. Um, and, you know, and I had somebody, a friend of mine, Jade Hoy, build a, a trailer for the book that focuses a lot on that fight that I have pinned to the top of my um, Twitter page. So I, I had a lot of fun with it. It took me two and a half, three years to write, but I'm really, really proud of it and hope that people um, will check it out because I, I feel like you've got laid out there with the Jordan documentary and everything else. But my argument is that you can't fully understand and fully appreciate what the nineties were without understanding that team and how they operated and how they changed stuff going right. forward because of the way they played. And um, and the, the Knicks were never the focal point of the 90s, but I think they were kind of like the Forrest Gump of the 90s where they were, you know, Forrest Gump was never really the focal point where he's in the pictures with the president in the movie, yeah. but he's off to the side. He's got to use the bathroom and he's in <laughs> Vietnam. But like, you know, all these things and it, like the Knicks were between Charles Smith and the OJ Chase and the Reggie Miller stuff. They were never the thing you were noticing, but they were always part of the thing that you were noticing. And I think that they're very relevant on like 12 different levels. And so I, I thought they'd be a really interesting subject for a book and I hope people find them as fascinating as I did. I yeah. can't wait to read it myself. Cause I totally, I mean, I was not um, contrary to what you all might think watching this. Um, I was not middle-aged already by that time, but I was certainly old enough to remember those days and the Knicks definitely personified the physicality of the nineties while the bulls personified championships and Michael Jordan personified how to make all the big shots. The Knicks personified the the NBA as a whole in that in that decade. And and uh, I can't wait to read the book. Thank you so much, Chris. Tell us where we can where we can find you on the web, uh, what you're working on with SI.com and all that stuff. Sure, um, you can find me at Herring, H E R R I N G underscore NBA on Twitter, which is pretty much the only social media I use. Um, but I, like you said, I write for Sports Illustrated. I, I co-host a podcast called Open Floor once a week with my teammate, Michael Pina. Um, generally on Fridays, I think we may do it this week, Thursday. Um, but, but yeah, you can find my work there. Um, I've got a sense of what I'm going to do my next story on, uh, but we'll, we'll keep that closer to the vest for now just to not get myself in trouble. And 
find somebody else that's listening to your story, listening to your podcast. Uh, write the story up before I get to it. But uh, yeah, right, right. Uh, Don't give it away. <laughs> I've you already lost. The, you already there. lost the one hook on the Suns early in the season to exactly. To, co-worker so don't do it again that's right <laughs> uh, Zona, tell us, yeah no problem zona tell us where we can find you and then we'll wrap this thing up uh yeah just zona hoops underscore on twitter um and yeah chris sold me on that book i'm gonna have to go get me a copy and uh one of my family members is a knicks fan so i'll selfishly read it before i gift it to them as a christmas <laughs> gift uh, <laughs> but well, yeah, Christmas, uh, yeah appreciate chris coming give on the iou <laughs> yeah Appreciate Chris coming on, though. No problem. Thank you guys so much for having me. You take All care. Right, thanks. I'm Dave King. You can find me on the on Twitter at Dave King NBA. My um, work at brightsideofthesun.com, and obviously this podcast here, the Sun Solar Panel. Thank you so much, Chris. We really appreciate your time today, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again sometime in the future. Thank you, sir. That's great.